Would you join with me in prayer? Dear Lord, I thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to be opening up your word together as a family. Thank you that we are more than just the sum total of our abilities, of our brokenness, our strengths. Thank you for filling us with your spirit and bringing us to more. So I pray, Lord, fill us with your spirit now. Open your word to us even as we open your word to us. Open our hearts to your word. And I pray, Lord, work your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Today is actually an extremely important day. I don't know if you realize that. 22 years ago, something absolutely world-changing happened. Anybody know what launched 22 years ago today? Wikipedia. Wikipedia launched 22 years ago today. And if you go, I don't know if that's a huge deal. It's a huge deal. It's a huge deal. It changes everything. The whole concept of what an encyclopedia is changed 22 years ago today. The whole idea of what constitutes knowledge, who decides what constitutes knowledge, changed 22 years ago today. Um, If you think about it, anyone can spout facts. Man, if we've learned anything. We've learned anything with the increase of the Internet. Anyone can spout facts, right? You can say anything, and there's somebody out there who goes, okay. My kids were just telling me the other day that there's apparently still people that go, you know, birds aren't real. (laughs) It's a thing. Google it. It's weird. But there are people that say that. But the idea that you you can have a, a democratization of knowledge that knowledge itself can be, that the hierarchy of knowledge can be flattened out and you can say, no, everybody can know everything that we can type out for free. Everything that is knowledge, 23 years ago, 22 years and a day ago, was the province of academia. 22 years ago today was the province of everyone. And that changes everything. When it first started, it was one of these things you go, well, you can't trust Wikipedia. It's written by doofuses in their basement. You can't. You can't. But if you get a billion doofuses and they correct each other and correct each other and correct each other, you get enough course corrections, you approximate expertise. <laughs> now, I'm saying that humorously, but that is the argument. If you get one expert writing something versus a committee of three mediocre people, the expert's better. If you get one expert writing something versus 10,000 people that know lots about that topic and they all course correct, oh, that's, that's much better than the expert. One expert opinion versus a thousand really good opinions, all self correcting. Up until that point, up until that point, and I don't, even if you say, well, no, the Encyclopedia Britannica was out there, up until that point, the idea that you can generate expertise from a plurality of just normal people was unheard of, or it was at least the, 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 the conclusion of a joke. But to say, I want everybody to know everything there is to know about everything. Wikipedia is the largest body of knowledge in the history of man. 
by orders of magnitude. You go, well, Library of Congress is a joke compared to the size of Wikipedia. Everything that we can, it is our Library of Alexandria. Everything that everybody knows about everything is now in Wikipedia. What used to be mystical cults would sit there and say, oh, only, only the priests know about Mithras and you're going to have to learn about the special mysteries. There was a time in history when people would argue, no, 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 women shouldn't be allowed to vote because you can't understand the complexities of democracy. There are times where people literally went to war. The church led people into war against other people because they had the audacity to try to own their own copy of the Bible. It is dangerous for you to have your own copy of the Bible. Only the church can do that. We will kill you and your whole family if you try. Throughout history, people have tried to keep knowledge to themselves, for themselves. This isn't yours. This is only ours. 22 years ago today, they went, as much as we possibly can, everything that we know about everything is for everyone, written by everyone, and it's completely free. Every once in a while, we're going to go, dude, can you give us a couple of bucks? If not, that's okay. Keep reading. But I would argue, as huge a paradigm shift as that is, it is not the first time in history that happened. Because for centuries, you had these mystery cults. For centuries, you had Persian priests saying, we're going to go into, the, into this special place and talk about things and come out and give you the God's ideas. But Jesus and Peter and Paul said, God wants you to know everything there is, to know everything there is about everything there is. As much as you can know God, we want you to know. I'm not going to hide anything in my preaching. I'm not going to hide anything in my letters. I'm not going to hide anything. I'm not going to. There are no hidden things where God goes, all right, I, I will not tell you. That I've, told, I've told Ezra, and Ezra goes, yes, but I'm supposed to. I'm not going to. You guys don't know. Paul doesn't say, I know stuff, but I'm not going to explain it to you. There's stuff that Paul goes, I don't know. But even that he's open about, isn't he? What are our resurrection bodies going to be like? I don't know. I wish I did. If I did, I'd tell you. But I don't know. We're reaching that point in the book of Ephesians, and if you haven't already done so, open up your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. We're going through that. That's page, what, 1133 or something in your pew Bibles? But Paul says, I want you to know everything that can be known about God as much as you can. Ephesians 1.15, that's where we picked up, where we left off. He says, for this reason, which means I've got to back up. For what reason? There's a context there, right? Based on what I just said, I'm going to... So what did he just said? If you look at the beginning of Ephesians, last week we talked about this is a letter from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, right? Yes or no? It's a form letter. The original letter said, to the saints in fill in the blank. And it was sent first to Ephesus, but it was sent to all the churches in western Turkey to kind of be taken from church to church. So we fill in, all right, we're Ephesus, we're the first people to the saints in Ephesus. And everybody else goes, 
Oh, is that just the name of you? Yeah, sure, why not? But it's to all of these. It's to Smyrna, it's to Laodicea. With a stretch, it's to Peoria. It's to churches, not just to a specific church. So Paul says, all right, I'm going to write this amazing, uplifting, run-on, horrible sentence that Kevin is going to have to diagram in seminary. And it's all this big praise to God from verse 3 through verse 14 because he's mean. But it's this wonderful run-on sentence of praise to God and about how we're planned and we've been planned for and we've been chosen before the creation of the world to be God's adopted children. Before he created anything, he had already chosen you, which is kind of an awesome thing. You've been chosen to be paid for, to be redeemed, to be bought back at a price by the blood of Christ. And with all of that in mind, he says, having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who, not which, technically could be which, but in the Greek it's a, it's, a, it's a masculine pronoun for a neuter noun. Which doesn't mean he's trying to say that the Spirit is masculine. It doesn't mean anything other than the fact that he's saying the Holy Spirit is a who, not an it. It's a, it's a person, not just a force. The Holy Spirit, he has done this. You've been marked and you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit who, as a person, is guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory, because all of this is a praise sentence. He's like, the Holy Spirit himself is guaranteeing this. You were bought and paid for. God, through Christ, through the Holy Spirit, the Father, the whole Trinity, is guaranteeing that you are part of this family. And for this reason, context. Because of all of this, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, for all the people of God who have been set apart for Christ, from, from their sins by Christ's blood, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Because of all that, because of what I know, and because I heard that you guys have come to faith, I haven't stopped giving thanks. What do we tend to give thanks to God for? Healing. Pardon me? Blessings. Redemption's good. Pardon me? Good stuff. Yeah. But usually it's good stuff. Sometimes it's, it's, it is it's is very theological. Don't get me wrong. But a lot of times when we're giving thanks about about our church, about our lives, it's the stuff that God has demonstrably done that we can look at. And there's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. But it's interesting here that Paul saw faith in Christ and love for all the saints. Those are the things he's thanking God about. When I keep hearing about the fact that you have faith in Christ, when I keep hearing about the fact that you have love for all the people of God, ah, give thanks to God. We might be tempted to say, I'd be thankful if I'm looking for church size growth. I want more people. I want more money. I want more affluence. I want more influence in our community. I want more, I want a better niftiness of presentation. I want a better preacher. That's what I want. That's what I would be, I'd be thankful for. I think that'd be swell if we could just do that. I think I'd, I'd be thankful if, you know, four out of five Sundays, all the AV things worked. And that's not a crack on the AV team. They're scrambling back there going, why? But Paul says, wait a minute. I'm 
thankful for your faith in Christ and your love for all the saints. And I never stopped giving thanks to God for that. If an infinite God planned all of us and planned for all of us and planned out how to make all of his plans work out for all of us and did all of that before the creation of the world, why would I get so caught up, like I do, on the finite resources of this place? If Paul says, what I'm thankful for is faith and love, and God, with his infinity, has planned for everything before the creation of the stuff place, why do I go, stuff place? It's all about the stuff place. Boy, I really hope I have enough stuff to get through the stuff place. That's what Philip did at lunch, isn't it? We don't have enough stuff. We're clearly in the stuff place, and we don't have enough stuff to get through the stuff place. Is that what Andrew did with the lunch box at lunch? Or do you just go, I got some stuff. This kid had some stuff. Can you do anything with this stuff? Are you, uh, God, give me enough stuff, person? Or are you, uh, God, show me what to do with this stuff, person? Because you're probably one of the two. You're never both of them at the same time. Paul says, I keep asking. Never stop giving thanks and I keep asking. That's what his prayer life is like, right? Boring and repetitive. Does he feel like it's boring and repetitive? No, I just keep saying, oh, this is awesome. I keep thanking you. I keep saying, please. I keep laying this at God's feet. I keep thanking him for all this. I constantly am praying. I'm constantly interacting with God. And I'm constantly praying for you guys. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a bigger church. I pray that he would give you more money and resources to deal with. I pray that he gives you more affluence. I pray that he gives you more influence. I pray that he gives you a better preacher. I pray that he gives you a niftier presentation so that you may draw in the lost by your spotlights. Paul says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit. I want the Father of the Son to give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. I want you to know. I want you to know more. I want you to know more about what you know. I want you to know and know as much as you can know, know as much as you can know about as much as you can know, and then I pray that he enable you to know more. There is not one bit of mystery cult in Christianity. I want you to know as much as you can know so that you can know him better. I don't pray for more better stuff. I don't pray for more better situations, by the way. Sure, I hope you get some more stuff. Sure, I hope your situation improves. I don't mean to diminish that. I don't. Somebody is hurting right now. We prayed for Lee earlier. I pray that his situation is improved. I pray for strength and healing for Amy. I pray for people who are struggling. I do. But the only way that works is that that is so far down on the priority list behind praying that we grow in Christ and grow closer to the God who is infinite. Because that's, that's the relationship, that's the life that we'll have eternally. The stuff that I pray for here is very important for a relatively short period of time. The other stuff, 
so much more important. Not because this doesn't matter, but because that matters so much. I pray that you know God better. I want you to know him. And I pray for this, and then after I pray for this, I pray more for that. Help me out. If Paul, Paul, says he hasn't arrived, if Paul says he never stops giving thanks and stops praying for deepening understanding, roughly at what point should you and I go, I've more or less arrived? It's always funny when you hear somebody, funny, not necessarily funny, ha depends on the day. It's always funny when you hear somebody go, oh, I pretty much got this all figured out. <laughs> I don't care if you're 16 or 61, I don't think you do. I mean, is it, uh, oh golly, I don't remember who it was, but uh, who said the, the, um, uh, the fool believes himself to be wise, whereas the wise man knows himself to be a fool. I think we can all wrap our heads around. I don't know, Aristotle, Socrates, look it up. Not now. But the idea that Paul says is, I want you guys to realize that you haven't arrived yet. So I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Not just wisdom, not just knowledge, not just head doctrine. I don't want to get too far off under the whole emotion thing versus intellect thing. But he's like, I want you to have wisdom and revelation, but also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. I want you to understand this fully, holistically, emotionally, relationally, and spiritually, intellectually, logically. I want you to have a fully orbed understanding of the capital T truth of God working in you. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Why? So that, in order that, you may know. The hope. How many times is he like, I pray for this. Why? So that you may know. I pray for this. Why? So that you may know. I pray for this. Why? So that you can know. I want you to know more. I want you to know. And once you know, I want you to know more. I want you to know the hope to which he has been called you, the, the, the riches of his glorious inheritance and the saints and this set-apart ones. His blood bought your life back from death and set you apart and bought you adoption into his family. I want you to know what that means. And if you go, yeah, no, I got that. He's like, then you don't. If you say, yeah, 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 you don't get this. I want you to know this. I want your heart, the eyes of your heart to be enlightened. I want you to get this. I want you to understand the glorious inheritance that he has in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. And I keep praying for that. And I keep praying for that. And then I pray some more for that. I never stop doing that. And bear in mind, where did this start? Is this like the Corinthians or like Galatians or like... Is this with him going, oh, I know what you guys are botching. I know what you guys are screwing up. Let me tell you. Is it? Is it like Romans where he's like, really? First chapter, I lead you into a trap. First verse of the second chapter, I go, spring. Is it that? No, he starts off by saying, I thank God for you guys. I'm not telling you that I'm praying for you to learn more because I think you're doing this badly. I'm praying that you learn more and more because I think you're doing it well. I'm not saying you're broken, therefore you need improvement. I'm saying we're all broken. We all need improvement. You're doing this well, which means you can improve. And again, I say, at what point do we go, oh, I'm doing it well. I don't need to worry about this anymore. If so, you've already missed the point again. I keep praying for this 
Because none of us has arrived. We're not at perfection yet. And I keep praying to you Christians that you get this more and more. I want you to understand this more and more. I want you to appreciate this more and more. Because God wants you to know as much as you can possibly know. And then I'm going to pray that he enables you to know more. He's not hiding anything. And if God's truth is infinite, if God is infinite, if he has been infinite, and if his plans are, as we talked last week, not only from infinity past and for infinity in the future, but across the infinity that is right now. If his plans are infinity cubed, do you think you and your finite mind can figure this all out to the point where you don't need to worry about it anymore? You know, you're cool. You don't need to learn anything else. Did you realize if, if Wikipedia printed no more new articles, typed not one more new word, not one, by some reckoning, it would take you 25 years if you were to sit down to just read the English articles in Wikipedia. How many languages is Wikipedia in across the world? But if you were to just read the English articles, it take you 25 years. Do we really think that we're going to totally understand the complexities of an infinite God to the point where we don't need somebody praying that you get it a little bit better? I pray that I get it a little bit better tomorrow than I do today. A lot better tomorrow than I do today. I pray, Paul says, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. To know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. To know his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power, Paul says, that one, that incomparably great power, which God himself is exerting it in us and for us. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And you go, oh, yeah, that's an interesting connection. You go, no, 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 I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cheat. Stay in, stay in Ephesians 1. Don't look ahead. But I'm going to look ahead. In Ephesians 2, don't tell anybody. In Ephesians 2, verse 5, Paul says, God made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It's by grace, his unmerited favor, that you've been saved. So in chapter 1, he's like, it's, it's like when he raised Christ from the dead. And you go, oh, cool. And he goes, chapter 2, no, no, it's, it's, it's really that. He, re he raised Christ from the dead. He raised you from the dead. You were dead. You, you get that, right? And here he says, that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand, at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. You know, oh, Cool. Okay, that is uniquely Christ. Stay in Ephesians chapter 1. But in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, the next verse, he says, Paul says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So I ask you, in chapter 1, where he says this power, this incomparably great power is like the same power that God used to raise Christ from the dead and seat him in the heavenly realms. Is he being metaphorical? At all? He's saying, no, it is literally the same power doing much the same thing. It's the very same power that's at work in you, at work in your life, at work trying to draw you, at work trying to help you to understand. It's the same power that cracked open the tomb 
It's the same power that made the dead rise out. It's the same power that ripped the curtain in two in the temple. It's the same power that raised Jesus to his throne in heaven. It's the same power. If you ever find yourself going, is God doing anything? Is God even doing anything in my life? Can he, does, can he help me with this? I don't even know if he can help me with this. I don't know. This is what he's been doing. He's exerting it in your life all the time. If you have ever thought that Easter morning, Resurrection Sunday, is a time to say, praise God for the miracle, have you? That's what God is doing every moment of every day in your life. It's always Easter morning. Constantly Easter morning. He is constantly exerting this same power. Constantly cracking open the tomb. Constantly drawing you up. Constantly drawing you to the throne. Constantly. And if you go, I just don't even think of it that way. Then like Paul, I pray that you and I may understand this better. And every day, pray that we understand it better because every day the world around us, the stuff place, keeps banging us more and more into its stuff shape, isn't it? Every day I gotta stop and think, I'm driving the right side of the road. No, I'm in Ireland, driving the left side of the road. Every day I have to stop and think about the stuff place. There's a reason why Paul says, don't be conformed, beaten into shape by this world. I want you to be transformed, metamorphosized from the inside out. Because I want you to understand this. I want you to understand God's will, his perfect, brilliant knowledge. Not like some mystery cult, but because the truth is sitting right there. Shouldn't that, shouldn't that change things? Shouldn't that change the way we look at things on a daily basis? Shouldn't that change how we approach life? Should we assume the worst and just complain about it? No, this, this stinks. I don't like the stuff place I'm in today. Should we pray that somehow maybe God might give us the stuff that we need to maybe somehow do this? I don't know. I don't see how this stuff works. Can we wonder if God's even doing anything? Can God even help us with whatever it is we're facing today? Is that understanding this doxology that Paul's giving us? Or if we truly believe, if we believe that God is still God today, that shouldn't we believe that maybe being anxious about things, being complaining about things is not helpful i know that it usually takes me to the wrong places shouldn't we pray that we have what we need physically emotionally spiritually to get through the day and trust that we can trust god in that all i need is what i need to get through today and the physical part though important is the least important part because i know at some point physically i won't get through the day anymore can i have confidence shouldn't i have confidence an increasing confidence that the God who raised Jesus and you from the dead and the God who raised Jesus and you to heaven itself, can I, have, I should have confidence that that God is still just as sovereign and just as involved today, shouldn't I? He doesn't change. He's not going to change. That should change. Well, something should change. If God's not changing... What should change? I pray that you understand that power, that that incomparably great power, that it's like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ and raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, 
far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come, because you may be seated with Christ, eh, you ain't never going to be Christ. You may be seated next to him, you might be seated with him, but he's sovereign, not you. But you understand why Paul says, I, I'm never, I'm just never going to stop doing this. I'm constantly praying that you and I might understand this, comprehend this, appreciate this more and more and more. Somebody just told me this week uh, at our Bible study that Christians, even Christians, tend to start with the, I've got to figure all this out. And then we'll oftentimes try to shoehorn God back into that later. It's like, oh, I probably need to pray that God rubber stamp this. Or after I've already made three quarters of my plan, go, uh, did you want some input? You know, but that we start, we start our own way, right? Instead of starting with, Lord, what do you want me to do here? You know, yeah, but I mean, I wasn't praying about anything like theological. I was just praying stuff stuff. I give God the spiritual stuff. I deal with the stuff stuff, right? Unless the stuff stuff is too big for me, at which point I say, God, could you help me with this world of stuff? Maybe before we ever deal with the stuff of this place, maybe deal with the stuff of our hearts, maybe deal with the spiritual. I mean, this is what we talked about last week. Before Paul even gets into all the horizontal, how do we interact with each other, he says, can we please get that vertical figured out? Can we get this nailed down and then live that out? Well, can I shoehorn that in? No. By definition, you will never be able to fit God into your stuff-related paradigm. But you can decide what to do with your stuff based on your God-shaped paradigm. Isn't that what we should be praying? If Paul's praying, then I think that's what we should be praying. Before we ever do that, let's deal with the first things first. Because let's face it, all the good ideas and all the clever plans and all the workable action steps to improve our lives, that really doesn't change anything, ultimately, unless we build it on a vertical that makes more sense. We build it on a foundation that's more true than this very changeable stuff place. Otherwise... You can read your Bible or go to the self-help aisle at Barnes & Noble. Same thing, right? It's just ideas of how to do stuff. And I'm sure that there's a best-selling one-hit wonder this week telling you something slightly different than the best-selling one-hit wonder last week about if you just do this, then all the stuff in your life will work out the way you want it to. If you just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you just do it cleverly enough and yank hard enough, everything changes, right? Outside of Bugs Bunny cartoons, you cannot literally pull yourself up by your bootstraps, people. There's physics. But Paul says to start and build on the basic capital T truth that God planned you, and he planned for you, and he chose you, and he planned how to make his plans and his choices work, and he worked all this unfathomable power into your life and continues to exert it in your life and decided all of this and made you... Made this foundation for you and decide all this before the creation of the world. If you do that, if you genuinely believe that God should be your foundation, then it changes how your Tuesday go, doesn't it? If you truly make that your foundation, it changes how you look at your priorities. If you truly make that your foundation, it changes the decisions that you make in life and why you make them. If you make God your foundation, it changes you. There's only so many situations I can change in the stuff around me, but I can change me. And I take that changed me into every 
situation and all the stuff around me, right? We made a decision when my kids were little. Yes, we wanted to protect them, but we realized we could world-proof our children a lot easier than we could child-proof the world. I can go around putting plastic plugs in all the outlets, and we did. But there's always going to be something that they could figure out. If they're dyed in the wool deciding that they're going to electrocute themselves, they'll figure it out. <laughs> or I could say, don't stick your finger in the light socket. Maybe do both. But it's a lot easier for me to world-proof my child than it is to child-proof the world. It's a lot better and richer for me to let God change me and take that change into all the situations I'm in than try to change all the situations I'm in. Of course, that's the scary part, isn't it? That's the rubber hits the road part. That's the, that's the tricky bit. That we say, yes, God wants to change you. That all the miraculous power of all creation, given to us by the God of all creation, working his miraculous power in your life, and doing so on a daily basis, moment-by-moment moment basis, having all these plans, requires that you change to fit his plans. And that means you're no longer in control. And who wants that? I would rather discontinue and dissociate myself from the guy who sculpted me, from all the plans that he's made, from all the power and all the universe, so that I can still make my own decisions which are objectively worse. Because that way I get to make them. He is sovereign over everything. Or he's not. He is the Lord of our lives. Or he's not. The logic of it doesn't allow a dimmer switch. I'm not even trying to be dogmatic. It's just logic. Is he in charge? Sort of. Then not. Are we following him? Mostly. Then you're not. Paul says, God placed all things under his feet, including us, and appointed him the head over everything, including us, for the church. To understand his power, his glory, his miraculous power, you have to give him sovereignty because he already has it, especially over us in the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. We are the body of Christ. We are supposed to be filled with the fullness of Christ that has been then live out that fullness fully in every part of our full lives because we've been given life and more abundantly. Paul told the Colossians in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form and you've been given fullness in Christ who's the head over every power and authority. Don't ever look at the stuff around you and say, well, I guess this is all I've got to work with. Christ has been given authority over everything because it's through him, by him, for him that everything has been created. And that incomparable power of God is at work in your life if you are sealed as his child. So live like that. Live like that's true, like that's capital T true. The miracle of Easter is a miracle every day. And I pray that you know that more and more all the time. And that tomorrow you grasp at a level you didn't even think you could understand it at today. And once you've reached the pinnacle of human knowledge, Pray that he fills you with his spirit even more so that you can learn more than you could know. And every day, grow closer and closer to understanding the infinity that is God. Amen? Would you pray with me?
Dear Lord, I thank you so much. We are broken. We're flawed. We're finite. I thank you that you're not. And I thank you that knowing that we're broken and flawed and finite, you still love us. Knowing that, you still died for us. Knowing that, you wanted us to be your children. Knowing that, you bought us adoption. Knowing that, knowing everything about all of us, you planned for us, lovingly planned for us, for the creation of the world. Help us, Lord, to know you more and more. And I pray, Lord, help us to seek you out and say, Father, help me to understand. In Jesus' name, amen.